Welcome to the Midlife Athlete Podcast, uh, which is hosted by me, Jason, and uh, my partner in crime, Greg. How are you, Greg? <laughs> Fine. Very good, thank you. Yeah, uh, very well. It's Friday afternoon. Well, yeah, late Friday afternoon. Weekend ahead. It's good. Looking forward to it. And uh, uh, we we should... We should um, link this through to the other stuff we've done. So we've talked about the midlife athlete framework and how you need to do certain things. Um, and, and prior to delving into those pillars, those pillars being exercise and, and mm-hmm. so on, and we're going to tackle the first one uh, exercise. We thought we'd set the scene um, really with things like understanding the energy system, the cardio system, respiratory mm-hmm. system, muscles because i think really without some kind of understanding of those the sort of things we're now going to go on to talk about and particularly in today's thing uh, which will cover aerobic exercise and vo2 sessions um you don't you don't really kind of fully understand them i think it's probably so um i think i think you get more out of it you get more out of your exercise if you have an understanding of what what's happening in your body um, we before we we press record, we were chatting about how you know media can be very it's just sound bites you know quicker way to 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 shred to shredded abs and you know bigger biceps in six weeks. It's like it's there's no the it's just a, a way of selling a magazine uh, or a, a nutrient you know <laughs> supplement or something like that. Without looking at, at this is you, there's a process you have to go through, and this is what happens to your body when you go through that process, and the time it takes you to go through this process is actually longer than you think, and certainly longer than the health magazines and etc. And, and, and media will actually have you believe. Um, so you know, six, six bigger biceps in six weeks. Well, hypertrophy takes a bit longer than six weeks. So I'm not too sure what they're claiming here. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we're, we're trying to unpick it and, and create a, a knowledge base as, as basic as it can be, but enough that, that our listeners can then apply it better and understand it better, know why the, the process is maybe taking a bit longer than they would have thought, but because they know the process is going to take longer, they're going to be more patient and therefore they're going to get more out of it. It's going to be more sustainable. That's 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 key. You know, it's it's a to get strong. You can't do one session of hit or one CrossFit session and suddenly you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's not going to happen. Yeah, so, um, uh, you, and that's a good lead into the aerobic stuff because the aerobic stuff takes a long time if you understand what is actually happening and, and what you're needing to do to train uh, the body to make those adaptations. And that takes a long time and it's not something that you can just quickly do in a six week period of time. Mm. Um, that mm. sometimes some of the magazines let you have um, lead you to believe, but before we dive into that, I thought we should probably put a bit of context around why you should do aerobic exercise, both, and we're going to talk about low intensity and we're going to talk about high intensity uh, around how it can help your VO2 max. Um, but I was quite shocked when I looked at these stats. So 
our cardiorespiratory system um, has a significant um, decrease in function from from the age of 40. And that, and that can be, we can lose up to 30% of our capacity, which when you think about it is huge and frightening. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so therefore, regardless of what your outcomes are in terms of if you're training because you're doing short-term goals, you definitely obviously need to, to do this stuff. But if you've got that longer-term uh, functionality in mind as well, um, you know, when you're sort of hitting 70 and 80, um, you definitely need to be doing doing it now because your cardiovascular um, uh, functionality is just it, it is, is on a pretty fast downward mm. slope. Um, the other thing that, and I think we touched on this when we interviewed Peter Herbert way back, who was doing the interesting experiment around VO2 and, and how it's a, it's a significant marker of longevity. If your VO2 levels, if you can keep your VO2 levels high, that is a, is a significant lead indicator of your health uh, or health span, if you like, when you when you reach an older age. But that but that starts declining from about sort of twenty five thirty. But when we hit fifty, that declines at about fifteen percent. Um, so again, quite significant numbers. It's it's what's interesting here is. Having read through all the all the strength stuff, and I was looking through an old exercise physiology book from twenty odd years ago, which is out of date. And yeah, I've, I need to update the get the new edition of it. But the um, you know you look at that compared to the strength and conditioning manual, which is only a couple of years um, since it was printed, so much more up to date. The difference is is quite it's quite incredible. So in twenty years, you know, science has moved on quite a lot. Um, but there's there's this. And it's, it, it, when you're reading these, these these textbooks, it's all very dry. It's all very scientific, but it's all very much. When you look at the older, you know, strength training in older people, or, or yeah, they talk about sarcopenia, so loss loss of muscle as you get older, and the rate at which you lose it, and how how much you can lose, and it's just quite depressing. And it, but the way you read it, and the way again, I come back to the media again because they are buggers for this. It's they will take it as a they'll take the negative, and they won't put a positive spin on it. So the negative is you oh you get old you'll lose muscle mass. Well yeah, but that rate is very is changeable, and that's what this podcast is about. So so there's always so you have to take it with a certain okay oh my god I'm going to lose all I'm going to lose thirty percent of my VO two max. Well not if you're still training or you've suddenly decided to start training. Because the most important, yeah, whether you're eight or eighty, your body is very reactive. Our tissues are very reactive, and they will get stronger. You may not be as when you're eighty, you can't get as strong as you were when you're eighteen, but you can get yourself significantly stronger. I mean, but something stupid like two hundred percent, you can increase your your stre- in, in strength um, if you're starting from a very low end. Yeah, so I- there's there's a positive behind it, which is you know keep exercising. Well, and that's exactly why, you know, we're we're effectively saying, look, you can reverse or mm. at least slow down the rate of decline by continuing to do this exercise. And, and, and potentially reverse it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. In, in circumstances, or at least hold it steady, you know. Yeah. Um, 
And, and the other the the other crucial one here that I'm going to put in the context um, of aerobic stuff is 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 mitochondrial function. We've learned a lot about mitochondrial function over the last couple of years, largely around cancer research and stuff. But um, it you know they're they're the sort of they're the sort of powerhouse of cells. You know they they really allow us to sort of do that energy. Now again there's a rate of decline. We know the context in which we're operating as midlife athletes, that, that there are rates of decline. But hey, this aerobic exercise, if you do it in a particular way, can arrest that decline. I mean, you can literally almost reverse it. You, you know, Maybe you can't reverse things like uh, your VO2, you might be able to hold it steady, but mitochondrial function, you can actually reverse. You can improve that even though you're getting older. So, um, so with that in mind, how do we do it? <laughs> how do we how do we how do we stop the decline? Um, I think probably the easiest way, um, and for listeners, if you really want to delve into the um, the real depths of this, you can refer back to the podcast we did with Stephen Sealer. But Stephen Sealer is, is a pretty critical figure in in all of this um, because over the last ten years, he carried out some research into how largely professional athletes across a whole bunch of endurance sports were training. And what he concluded was you should be spending uh, a significant amount of time in what they call your zone two. And we'll come on to what that is in a moment. And then a little bit of your time at the real high end, really intense sessions. And the reason that you do that is for, is twofold. When you work in the low intensity stuff there's a whole bunch of reasons um positive reasons like it, it we know from again recent research into mitochondrial function that actually looks like the mitochondria proteins in your type one slow twitch muscles which is what obviously what you use gets improved you get more capillaries which means you can spread the oxygen around the place and we know from one of the other sessions that oxygen is, is critical obviously to give us um give us some energy it's also less physiologically taxing so you can then add more volume and volume is critical if you want to make the adaptations from an aerobic um, perspective so there's a whole bunch of reasons why you operate in the lower end and then in the higher end um you know you're working on things like your vo2 which again is as we've said a significant marker for for um health span and longevity so um and it also seems that those high intensity sessions, again from the recent mitochondria research, um, it, it, it seems that that sort of high intensity exercise gets those mitochondria operating more effectively. So you get this double whammy effectively of them being more of them and they process the proteins more efficiently because you, you're mixing these two forms of um, intensity if you like, together. Um, and that's, and that's pretty, that's pretty revolutionary, actually. I mean, even now, it's only, you're starting to see it come through in some of the sort of more popular magazine-y YouTube stuff, um, which is probably why lots of midlife athletes aren't, aren't training this way. No, it, it's, it's, and I mean, the time crunch cyclist, we've mentioned, I've mentioned it before. That's a process I went through. Um, and because I thought I was time crunched. Um, 
And as, as Stephen Cedar said to me, well, you've made yourself time crunched. Yeah, you know, <laughs> if you want to, you know, if you want to do more, if you want to do it properly, you do lower intensity and more of it. So you just got to do more exercise. Um, so I, I was, and, and so I was taking the shortcut doing these these high intent eight week high intensity course, um, and it got me fit and strong. Uh, but it's not sustainable. You know, it's the actual thing says it, it says you do eight weeks of it, then you stop. Or you do the same volume at a lower intensity. Suddenly you're in your zone twos um, for eight weeks because you're not doing you're still doing six hours a week, but you're not doing high intensity stuff. So it, it, it whilst they're saying the high intensity stuff is what you need to do to get fit, actually in the background you're still doing lots of zone two. But they don't see they sort of brush over that. Um, and it's only now that that, that that same company that came up with the time crunch cyclist is going, hang on a minute, maybe we need to do more zone two. But that's that's you know quite a few years down the line. I mean, I was doing the time crunch cyclist twelve years ago. Um, and advocated it to lots of people, uh, but now I'm thinking, eh, maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. Has, its, has its place. But, yeah. I, I, and you know, so what tends to happen is um, athletes gravitate towards the middle zone. They don't do the low intensity, um, or they they what they think is low intensity actually isn't low intense enough. Yeah. Mm. And they don't do the high intensity stuff because that's a little bit hard you know don't want to go there that's a little bit too hard so everyone tends to gravitate towards the middle the problem with the middle is that you're you're not really training anything (laughs) really very well in the middle Um, yeah you need to have both feet in one camp or both feet in the other camp you can't have one in each camp exactly exactly and then and the other problem is that you will then find over a period of time that you plateau because of course you're not really driving the adaptations that you you really want to try and drive, so you end up plateauing and then figuring out you know this is this isn't really working and you know some of that some of that intense stuff that you talked about from the time crunch cyclist the same with running um, people pick up injuries or they get too tired there's a, there's a there's a physiological stress that's placed on them which means that they just can't they can't carry on. Um, or you can't string the sessions together. So you can't get the volume that you actually need to drive the adaptation because the sessions are just that bit too hard. So your recovery from them, you know, you have a day off. Whereas if you drop your intensity down, you can go out day after day after day after day. Well, say so it sort of makes perfect sense. I mean, when you think about how, I mean, how many miles does the average pro cyclist cycle in a year i mean it's tens of thousands i'm, I'm, I'm i don't know exactly you know, what, what it is but it's tens of thousands and so to do that you can't do all that at high intensity it's impossible so they have to be doing it day in day out for hours at a time the difference is when you look at you know their data on strava they're pushing huge watts for low intensity and we and we think we've got to do the same number amount of watts We've got to do the what's that the, the, the pros are doing. Well, don't even bother, you know, because you're just going to burn yourself out really quickly. The reason why they can push those what's at really low intensity is because they've done years of training. They've got this massive capillary bed in their thighs, uh, in, their, in their leg muscles. They can, they've got you know, twice the oxygen delivery to their muscles than, than the average person. So they've got the adaptations. It's all there. And then it, 
when you're at the pro level, it's then about tweaking it and making small changes. You can still make the changes. They've got to put a lot of effort in. They stop, they stop training for a week and suddenly they're losing it. Their, their edge is lost. For us, it's not, you know, it's not so much, but, but um, at, that, at that sort of um, rarefied at, uh, level of performance, then, yeah, they, they need to be doing it all the time. But to do that, you've got to be, it's got to be slow and steady. But slow and steady for them is much faster than our slow and steady. That's the difference. Yeah, exactly. Because you can, you can, you can alter these zones. So it kind of brings us back to that. You know, when you you talk about slow and steady. So what is what is slow and what is steady? What's what's the zone that you tend to operate? People talk about zone two, but everyone goes, "Well, what the hell is zone two? Because I mean, there's again a plethora of information out there in these magazines and that kind of stuff, and they'll talk about a you know, a three zone model, a, a five zone model, sometimes a seven zone model, and everyone gets really completely and utterly confused. So, um, and then they, they talk about thresholds and you can understand why everyone's like, I don't even know what the hell this is. How do I, how do I even get started? So I think probably the best way to describe it, to sort of simplify it for people really is to think about it being moderate intensity. So if you were going to do some kind of perception score out of 10, this would be three or a four. Mm. So, you know, you again, it gives you some idea that it's it's actually, you know, not very intense in that sense. Um, and you should really be able to have a conversation. You should be able to do, you know, some, if you were on a, some, you know, telephone call, uh, Teams call or whatever it might be with work, you should be able to hold a conversation there. You'll be breathy. There's no question about it. And they probably notice that you might be, you know, breathing a little bit. But but that's the level of intensity. And the whirring in the background from the bike would also give them. <laughs> yeah. Or the plodding of your feet as you're running along the <laughs> yeah. street. Yeah. 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 Um, but, that, but that's just a simple way of measuring it. You know, you can go out on a run, you can go out on a ride or, or, or row or whatever it might be. And, and you can, you know, I've said to, 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 to clients of mine, talk to yourself. I know you, it might sound a little bit mad, but you can talk to yourself whilst reading your heart rate to just to get a feel for what it is. And then you can go off your heart rate. And obviously you're going to have to check in on this on a, on a regular basis because you will, if you keep doing it, make the adaptations and then your zones will shift. But, but it's a simple way as opposed to getting caught up in all this kind of zone and threshold sort of. Well, I think, I think um, when we, when I, when we both read Phil Cavell's um, midlife cyclist book and we had him on the podcast, that was a really interesting one. That's worth re- um, revisiting for our listeners. Mm. He was talking about three zones. And since then I have ignored my Garmin's five zones and I, do this three zone one. So he's basically saying you've got three zones. The first zone is eight, up to 80% of your maximum heart rate. So you've got to know your maximum heart rate. So you need to do a stress test. Mm. Um, you, the, there's various predictors. That's fine. Um, um, but the best way is just to do a stress test. Um, now, I did my stress test inadvertently going up a hill trying to chase some, some of my mates who are much fitter than me. And <laughs> lo and behold, I now know my maximum heart rate. But from that, I could then work out what 80% of my maximum heart rate is. So my zone one uh, is 143, is, my, is the ceiling of my zone one is 143. 
then it's uh, I think zone two is between eighty and eighty-seven percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so anything above eighty-seven percent, that's your that's your high intensity, and then zone one is anything below that. So, but even then, Stephen Seed has been saying so you go as as slow as you can. So I'm aiming when I do my 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 aerobic stuff. I'm aiming for my heart rate to be no more than one hundred and fifteen. Um, and if it goes 120, I'm not too fussed, but you know, 130, I'm getting numb. I'm just, I'm pushing it too hard. I'm still, I'm still getting an aerobic workout. Um, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to follow the science with this. Um, but the three zone thing, which, which Phil talked about is so much simpler. I, lo- I love that. And it, it just works, works for me so much better. Um, uh, cause you don't have to worry about tempo and, and, and sweet spots and, all that sort of stuff. FTP, it's just, yeah, it's just simpler. Yeah, no, I, I, I to- totally agree. Um, if you can, if you can, you know, do that, and you should be doing this anyways, is trying to find out what your maximum heart rate is, because uh, that that will also change and vary depending on perhaps where you are within your season. If you if you had a bit of a slack winter, it, it may well have dropped dropped off a bit. So when you start back again, you know, you need to take a measurement as you improve, mm-hmm. maybe through the, you know spring and summer again you may find it's lifted a little bit with your training so it's a it's a it's a good practice to kind of regularly check mm. in on, on, on where it is it also varies sometimes from from you know in a week yeah um yeah. so 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 being stress levels, yeah yeah and then and then the other thing i think you've hit the point that you know it's about your entire session being within that zone um so it's not an average <laughs> doesn't mean you can go out of your zone and do some efforts and then, Oh, well, my average stayed below that. Mm-hmm. No, it's your entire heart rate for the entire time that you're out doing, doing that session, which again, which in Paris can be difficult when you got, when you're going outside, it's on, you're on hills and yeah. those things are yeah, get in the way. The geography gets in the way, headwinds and, you know, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Um, which is why I do, you know, I'm, I'm more of a indoors on a, on a turbo training, just steady state for, for, you know, a couple of hours, you know, um, that gives me, I know that I'm, I, I can just fix, fix at a certain speed and just keep my heart rate relatively, relatively low. So. And that's why Stephen Sealer said, you know, he stumbled upon this, um, because he was seeing cross-country skiers out training, but they were walking on the hills. Yeah, mm. they, they walk on the hills because they want to keep the heart rate down within within that zone. And, and I'm afraid, you know, this sort of training does require you to let your ego uh, yeah. go. And there have been many times, I can tell you, when I've been out both running and cycling where other people have overtaken me. And, uh, you know, you do feel a bit like a sort of, you know, I don't know what's the word old granny on a bicycle. Um, but, but you know that, you know, you, as you say, you're following the science. Um, and I know in all likelihood, they're probably in the, in that gray, horrible zone that they shouldn't really be in. So, um, so relatively simple to work out your zone two. Um, the other thing, interesting thing about zone two stuff is it, it can also help with your VO two levels. So as well as the high intensity stuff that that we're talking about, and that can be things like interval training and so on, um, zone two also helps with 
your VO2. You'll find as you're doing this over a long period of time, it will help to bolster um, the VO2 levels. And I mean, it's quite striking. So there's a guy called uh, Inicio San uh, Milan who trains Pogaccia uh, cyclist. Uh, he is he predominantly researches mitochondria and cancer. Um, so he's a big, big proponent of zone two training because he understands the mitochondrial stuff. He posted the other day, uh, the power of zone two even surprises me, which is saying something because he's other than probably Steven Seeler, he probably is Mr. Zone two. He says, yeah. Jan- January was the coldest month on record, did all my riding indoors. He hates intervals on a trainer. So he never went above zone two in the entire month of, of January. He got outside, did a ride and got a personal record on a 4k climb. Okay. Um, so, you know, it, Everyone might think I'm not really training here. <laughs> I'm not really. I'm not pushing myself. I'm not out of breath. Yeah, but you are. <laughs> and and that's and that's the that's the mindset switch you have to make. And that's what Stephen Sealer again was was talking about. He said, "Yeah, it's not about if you're building a if you're planting a forest. It's not about one big tree or just two or three big trees. That you need lots and lots of." trees lots of small trees and then they'll grow up into be this big forest and you have you have to be patient the, you know the, the body does take time to adapt it will adapt but you have to be patient and that's can be in short supply i mean uh, i mean when i when i look at um uh, clients of mine and um just being injured you know the timelines from an injury you know, so an ankle sprain can be you know six to eight weeks and they go really oh god you know oh, it's oh, four weeks in and they go oh god it's, you know will it ever get better yes but you're looking at you're looking at the you're trying to see the changes on an hour by hour or day by day basis and you're not going to see that it's a bit more macroscopic and and that's what you have to start you have to start opening up your your, your vision to see a macroscopic thing and and targets i mean if you if you don't if you find the whole thing boring and dull don't do it you know it, it you know just go out and ride and do what you want to do and do what makes you happy because you'll keep doing it um but if you want to improve if you if you want to start really thinking about upping the game and i say following the science you need to start thinking about re or rethinking your training and it's like, yeah, it's hard, and I'm 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 doing it as we speak, and it's um it's 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 been a bit of a battle in my head, you know. Mm. Go harder, go faster. Yeah, <laughs> more fun. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, and again, Stephen Sealer's research, both with elite athletes, but also um, with recreational athletes, what that split sort of looks like is roughly 80 20 so yeah. you know you're probably talking about no less than 70 percent uh 70 percent probably needs to be in that low intensity zone and then the remainder needs to be you know pretty pretty hard stuff stuff that really shakes you out of that kind of uh, uh homostasis you know it really is stressful driving the adaptations um which is which is why you can't you can't do more than 20 odd percent of it because it's just too physiologically tough to do. Um, 
And that's so that's but roughly the, the split. But the good thing is, you you, you go and do a, a really hard, intent, high intensity exercise. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do the next day is do another high intensity exercise. Yeah, it's going to be quite depleting. But you do a high intensity exercise on one day, and then you can go out and do a more gentle one the next day. You go, you're back to your back to your zone two. And actually, very helpful. Your zone two is very good at, at calming the system down and, and reducing of sympathetic uh, overload and get your parasympathetic um, working. So, um, yeah, there, there's you, you can start putting more the, – they said the volume increases, and, that, and that's where your adaptations will, will, will reap the reward. Yeah, and as I say, this is, this is playing out study after study after study with elite athletes. You mm. know, their, their, their sort of meme sort of um, – percentage in 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 low intensity is 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 80 odd percent sometimes it's 85 86 percent sometimes it's sort of 77 something like that but it's roughly in that in in that ballpark um because it's all about it's all about it's all about volume and that's that's the major difference um yes they've got Mm -hmm. the time to do it um but we can we can also make the time to do it so so kind of kind of recap what this sort of training gives you is it produces very little physiological stress. So you can go out and you can, you can do the same the next day. Um, it seems to drive, um, latest science suggests mitochondrial protein function content, which is, which is obviously useful for it in terms of, uh, particularly in, in the slow twitch fibers, um, which you're going to need to get the energy. You get increased um, capillaries spread, and density within the muscles so again that really helps from a from a from a, an oxidization perspective you're improving your fat oxidization so again it allow you to kind of go a little bit longer without burning your into your carbohydrate or in your glycogen stores um and you've got less risk of any plateau but more importantly it's just sustainable <laughs> Um, you're not gonna you're not gonna burn out after a, a month of trying to, to to do something that just just isn't gonna isn't gonna be sustainable. Um, and, and as I say, this is you know this is this is now becoming a kind of fashionable thing that some people are picking up on, but it's it's based on the latest science. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so yeah, that's a quick sort of run through of aerobic and and vo2 training why you should do it you didn't hear it first listeners the <laughs> 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 other people said it first but we, we we're banging on about it and we're going to keep banging on about it <laughs> yeah until it's uh, mainstream yeah but i mean i think i think what's really key for listeners you know because when we sort of we interviewed i don't know how many we've interviewed now midlife athletes but they've all pretty much shared the same thing that they're all training for the short term goal event or whatever it might be that they're doing. But I think, I think pretty much all of them, Greg said, yeah, I also want to kind of, you know, be healthy when I'm, when I'm older and I want to retain some functionality and that kind of stuff. And, and this way of training from an aerobic, you know, maintaining your aerobic capacity and we'll come on to strength. I know in the next one, but, um, it's perfect for meeting those two outcomes. Um, mm, yeah. You're ticking both of those boxes. Yeah, yeah. 
just just we, we recover a bit slower as we get older. Um, you know, can't push yourself quite as hard, um, but you, but our tissues are adaptable. Even yeah, as we're getting older, they're still adaptable. They can still be trained. Um, the changes occurring may, you know, will be slower than when we in our twenties, um, but changes will occur. And um, I say you just got to be patient. Got to be patient. Yeah, the one thing about this stuff is um, you're not going to see the benefits of this in a couple of weeks. No, no. Although it's interesting what what, uh, what you were saying about the quote about you know he did. I don't know how we don't know how many sessions he did in January in indoors. Uh, he probably he probably did quite a few by the sounds of it. But then he goes out and, and suddenly he's he's faster when he's outside. Um, so the carryover is 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 there. Probably he's done a lot of training beforehand anyway um but you know we we can all we can all be stronger we can all be fitter um but this is just a way of just doing it with you know the science what science tells us just better better for us well what's quite interesting actually because i've just i've just pulled the tweet up uh to check because he did actually um take a screenshot of his um of his calendar training calendar yeah. It shows the session. So I don't know. I don't know what software he was using. I don't, it doesn't look like Strava, um, but it might be something like that. So in, in the month of January, he did what looks like 17 sessions. Right. Um, in the second week of January and the third week of January, he did three days back to back. Right. Um, but in the last week of January, he did five days back to back now okay you that that's the beauty of this sort of way of training there's no way that you would do five days back to back training if you were training beyond you know to use your three zone model beyond yeah. zone one or to use the five yeah. zone zone two you wouldn't be able to do it he'd be too tired um the stress yeah. would be too great you might string two might string three but you'd never you then wouldn't go on to a fourth or a fifth so mm. And, and actually, he saw benefit, you know, a month, you know, six weeks or so later. So it, it isn't a short-term fix, and that, and he's, and he's obviously been training like that for quite, quite some time. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're just starting out on this method of, 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 of training, you know, you're probably not going to see the benefits quite so quickly. Well, well, you may actually, because you, if you're starting. If you're starting from a from the sort of weakened or unfit level, you'll see your changes quicker. You'll feel differences quicker. That's what you do with strength training. When you're when you're that when you're very fit or very strong, your rate of change has slowed. You just won't make those differences. So if you're starting from zero, in terms of in terms of have never exercised and now you're going to start, you'll probably feel you know you'll you'll see you'll see big changes within your data quite quickly. Um, Oh, certainly if you're if you're starting from zero, but if you're switching yeah. from a current methodology of you know in that oh, grade, yeah, yeah. Okay. you may you may not because you won't you won't think psychologically that you're you're making. But also you, you know things like your VO two numbers will probably take a little while to come come good. Yeah. Um, through, yeah. Those high intensity sessions, you're going to need to string a couple of those, you know, a few of those together to get to to get the benefit. So um, yeah, it's it it's it's not slow if you come in from that mid range, but yeah, certainly if you're starting from zero, it definitely can yeah. see a, see a benefit. Yeah. The only way is up. 
Yeah, the only way's up. So so that's it. Uh, aerobic and VO two. Get it in your in your in your training plans, um, and start thinking of a polarized approach. Eighty percent low intensity, about twenty percent high intensity. Cool. And we're covering off uh, strength in the next one, I think, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. That's that's been quite an interesting one. Digging into that um, again, sort of looking at the the old textbook from um, twenty years ago and the new textbook recently. It's like. <laughs> things have moved on um but even then yeah the textbooks would have caught up with some of the stuff that the cambridge physicists had come up with um so um but there's some there's some really interesting some really interesting factors uh which i'll be sharing with everyone um um it was great it was good fun actually going into it because it's um it's sort of really sort of focused my my knowledge base a lot more it's been great really good and so we should just remind listeners, really, just a little reminder. Um, you can you can subscribe to us on Substack, so you can listen to the podcast whichever way you listen to your podcasts. You can also listen to them on Substack as well now. But um, on Substack, we'll we'll publish uh, a sort of summary of the uh, of this pod, um, but we'll also uh, release behind a, a paywall. It's only a small amount. Same probably equivalent of buying a coffee or something. Uh, they're really detailed notes uh, and it'll have uh, links to sort of scientific studies in there. And I found a really great chart actually, which uh, explains all of the the sort of training zone along the sort of la- that lactate curve and, and what have you. So I'll drop that in the, uh, in the detailed notes as well. And again, it's, it's just a simple way of being able to figure out, what we're talking about with with these with these intensities so yeah feel free the 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 stuff is free on substack so uh there's no obligation to pay but if you do on the detailed notes then yeah it's, it's about the price of a coffee and uh right. we'll see you uh for the next one on um strength yeah brilliant cheers cheers everyone. take care